0: Jesus, teach us from those words and help us to follow you more. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, hello, 945. Hello to those of you watching at home on live stream, first Sunday, live streaming this service. Yay. It's great to have you joining us. And what a really cool game last night, right? Like, oh man, I just love those one-handed catches. Are so cool. But that's not what the sermon's about though I could talk for some time on that, but I won't. Uh, for Christmas, my mother-in-law gave us Alexa, or an Alexa, not sure how you would say that. It's this little black box that sits on the table and you can ask it to play music, or you can ask it questions and it'll answer. So for fun, I asked Alexa, what is the meaning of life? And she said 42. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Like Weird prophecy or something? And, So I rephrased and I said, Alexa, what is the purpose of my life? And she said, hmm, that's a tough one. I don't know, but you could try Bing. (laughs) Stupid machine. Because it's kind of an important question, right? Like Mark Twain said the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you figure out why. And a recent national poll asked if you, uh, people, if you could ask God any question, what would it be? The top answer was, God, why am I here on Earth? Now when I say what is the purpose of my life, I don't mean that in a philosophical foreign film with subtitles kind of a way. I mean it in a real everyday practical way. Because whenever we face a decision about what college to go to or who to date or this career or that career, At heart, underneath is a fundamental question, what am I here for? What's my purpose? When we feel depressed and we want to give up, underneath is a fundamental purpose question, like why am I here on earth? What's the point? Whenever we feel real joy, it's because a real purpose issue has been met. I have a purpose, and it's bigger than just going to school or my work or being a consumer. When you understand your purpose, it gets you out of bed in the morning, it motivates you. It helps you persevere through difficult times in school or work or parenting or being a kid. I've heard a lot of people say, I am just glad 2016 is over because the news was so horrible. And yet here we are one week in and already a shooting. But when you know your purpose, it gives you hope because you know how God has wired you to be part of the solution. And when you are part of the solution, you have hope. We're starting a new sermon series today on the book of Jeremiah. It's the longest book in the Bible, 52 chapters. So one for every Sunday of the year. But they're really long, so really you need at least two Sundays per chapter, so we're gonna do this series until 2019. (laughs) Actually, we're not gonna, because it's very repetitive, it needed some editing, so we're not gonna look at every chapter. But for 40 years, Jeremiah was a prophet during the stormiest, scariest, but in some ways most hopeful season of Israel's history. And Jeremiah started out during the reign of King Josiah, who was a good king, presided over a spiritual revival and economic prosperity, but he was followed by four terrible kings, and which eventually led to the Babylonian Empire, destroying Israel, taking the Israelites into exile in Babylon for 70 years, and you can see the map there. So Jeremiah lived in strange times in a strange land and through it all explained what God was doing in the middle of it all and how people could find hope and be part of what God was doing. And Jeremiah is one of my favorite people in the Bible. He whines, he complains, he wants to quit all the time, he yells at God, there's even a word in English from his name, Jeremiah, which means one long, tedious complaint. You are so looking forward to this series, aren't you? It sounds awesome, right? But here's what's cool about Jeremiah. He becomes strong, he helps to change a culture, and he provides wisdom on a lot of different topics in life. There's gonna be a wide variety of topics in this sermon series. And ultimately, Jeremiah casts a vision of hope that points to Jesus who comes 500 years later. But what I most like about Jeremiah is he is filled with passion. And through him, we see a passionate God who calls us to passionate, large lives with him. And in the opening chapter, God prepares Jeremiah to bring hope in strange times. And part of that is to know your purpose, your calling in life. Now, just as an aside, I think whenever we face a decision, this job, that job, this school, that school, I really do believe if God has a specific thing in mind, he usually is pretty clear with us. But I think most of the time in decisions, God just says, you pick. I am the master jazz musician. You pick, you play your notes, I'll improvise, and it'll be a great concert. And by call, I don't necessarily mean job. That's part of it, but it's bigger, and I'll get to that. But when you know your call, your purpose, what God's calling you to, it can help guide you, it can give you deeper meaning and hope and joy in life, even in difficult times. Plus, the vision of this church is that we see God's revival of all things happen on the east side and beyond. And the way that happens is when each one of us is constantly asking Jesus every day, give me eyes to see how I can be part of bringing your healing in this school office neighborhood. Now that's a tough vision. It's not like building a building where you know what you're right there. It's concrete, right? That, that requires each of us to hear from God, the nudges, the call every day to how we can bring healing wherever we are. That's hard to do. And last month, we had you fill out, we had you write down where do you feel God calling you to bring healing? And thousands of you did that. But how do we really figure that out? Not just in the big things like this job, that job, this person to date, that person to date, but in the daily things. What is God nudging, calling me to do? How do I hear it? So I'm gonna make a few observations from this text and I'm kinda gonna go verse by verse. The book begins, the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth. Okay, right there. One of the ways we figure out what God's calling us to is to be open to God's interruptions. Because he is the son of a priest, Jeremiah's career path was marked out for him. He's gonna be a priest. But God interrupts that career path to call him to be a prophet, and those are different things. For one thing, the priests had it pretty good. The priests got paid. Prophets didn't. Priests conducted religious ceremonies. Prophets had to tell people what they did not want to hear, and that is not always fun. So God interrupts Jeremiah's career path to be a prophet. Are we open to God's interruptions, not just in things like career or things like that, but every day, the nudges he gives us. Okay, it goes on, the word of the Lord came to me saying, let's stop there again, how do you think that happened, the word of the Lord came to him? I think we kind of, because it's in the Bible, we just assume it was a big booming audible voice, right, because of Bible movies we've seen, Jeremiah, right, and it could have been that, it could have been that, but, but it also may have just been a dream or thoughts Those thoughts we get that aren't our thoughts, they they sound different, or a nudge, or something someone says, or a line from scripture. God speaks in lots of ways, if we're paying attention. God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So next observation, what this shows is, you are not a mistake. You are not a mistake. You were made on purpose for a purpose. And I think a lot of times we don't know what God is calling us to because we assume he's not calling us at all. We assume calling is for for pastors and missionaries and and things like that. But before you were born, God had a purpose for you that only you can do. And if we assume that's true, we are always going to be looking for it every day. Pastor Calvin Miller said that growing up, he was surrounded by super talented siblings, but he didn't seem to excel at anything. He said, I was so inferior the neighbors would even point it out to my mom. And he said, one day my sister felt led of God to help me get in touch with myself by telling me that in her opinion, which was as infallible as the King James Bible, if God called me to do anything, he must have had a wrong number. (laughs) Like, what are siblings for, right? Like, That is not true of any of us. When God says to Jeremiah, I appoint you as a prophet to the nations, the Hebrew word there is literally I gave you. I gave you to the nations. God gives you to the world. You are God's gift to the world. Some of you already thought that, but uh, (laughs) others of you have dated people who thought that, right? But in a way, it is true. God gives you to bring healing. You were made on purpose, for a purpose, to partner with Jesus in the renewal of all things wherever you are. To which Jeremiah says... Ah, sovereign Lord. I kind of love that. It's kind of like when parents ask a kid to do something. Ah, do I have to? Ah, God, do I have to? Right? And then he says, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. Uh, Jeremiah is probably 16 or 17 here. uh, So here's another observation. To hear God's call, we got to get past our excuses. Because a lot of times we don't hear God's call because we keep dismissing it with excuses. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't have enough education. I have too much. I'm too busy. No, you aren't. No, I'm not. Schedule is just a reflection of priorities. Lots of excuses. This week, my gym has been packed with people. (laughs) Any idea why? New Year's time, right? Like I, I can't wait until February when they've all found excuses for not showing up. And I can have my gym back. An acquaintance of mine posted on Facebook last week his New Year's resolutions from the past few years. He said, 2013, I will get my weight to 180. 2014, I'll get to 190. <laughs> 2015, I will diet until I get to 200. 2016, I will work out three days a week. 2017, I'll try to drive past a gym once in a while. Resolutions fail because we find excuses for not doing them. Often we don't hear what God is saying to us. We don't hear his call because we're finding excuses. Jeremiah says, I can't speak. I'm too young. God says, so? What's that got to do with anything? So what? Teenagers can change the world. Jesus' disciples were mostly teenagers. God says, don't say I'm too young. Don't be afraid of them for I am with you and I will rescue you. Now, notice what God didn't say. He didn't say, oh, don't worry, Jeremiah. I'm going to give you lots of athletic ability so people will listen to you. I'm going to give you money. I'm going to give you political power. He doesn't say any of that. He just says, I'm with you. That's enough. You play your notes. I'll improvise. It'll be a great concert. See, God is not looking for extraordinary people. He is looking for ordinary people who trust an extraordinary God. Your job is to show up and ask Jesus to help you see the opportunities you have every day to bring his healing wherever you are. Well, I don't even know where to start. Well, here's an idea anywhere, right? If something's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And God will guide you to a more right fit. God can steer anything except a stationary object. Just get moving. He'll steer a while back I read about a letter carrier in West Virginia named Rose Marie, and for years her only goal was to deliver the mail as fast as she could and get it over with, right? But then in her words, she met Jesus and heard sermons like this one and thought, well, what can I do? I don't, I, I don't have a college degree. I don't have a job that has lots of authority, right? What can I do? And then, and then she got, that was kind of her excuse, right? But then God started to guide her. She started asking Jesus, show me, show me. Her first idea was to just pray for the people in each house as she delivered the mail. And then God nudged her so that whenever someone was outside, her next step was she'd strike up a conversation. And then God guided her to go a little bit deeper and she said, for the first time I paid attention to the people in the neighborhood and I began to hear about domestic abuse in this house and great joy in that house because of a birth. Celebrations here because of a wedding and grief there because of a death. One day, she saw some kids sitting outside in 10-degree weather and, and because they forgot their key and their parents were at work. And she remembered that just a few houses over, an elderly couple had said to her, hey, if there are ever kids in the neighborhood that need us, send them here. We'd love to have kids in the house. So she knew that was a safe place to send those kids until their parents got back. Well, a local reporter did a story about her. And when he interviewed some of the people on her route, they said she is a breath of fresh air to us. People who are homebound said, she's our only connection to the outside world. She is vital to our life. See, Rosemarie asked Jesus, show me the opportunities I have every day, and she brought healing and community to an entire neighborhood, which for her, now it may be something different for you, but the way she, God wired her, that brought her joy. That was the purpose God gave her. And now going home to watch TV is no longer the highlight of her day. Being on this adventure with Jesus is. And she's not freaked out by the news because she knows she's part of healing. And when you know you're part of healing, it gives you hope. She did all that as a mail carrier when she got past her excuses. There's an African proverb that says, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try spending the night in a closed room with a mosquito. No one is too small. (laughs) Took you a while to get that, but. So God answers Jeremiah's excuses, right? And then the very next verse, the next verse says, the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said, I have put my words in your mouth. But that means more than just words. Because see, later in the book, Jeremiah says this, his word is in my heart like a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. It's not just words that God gives Jeremiah. He gives Jeremiah a passion, a burden. God always puts something on our heart. What is it for you? So here's another way to figure out our call. What makes you glad, sad, and mad? What makes you glad, sad, and mad? Maybe when you see kids not getting what they need to thrive, it makes you mad and sad, but glad when they get the help they need. Maybe unjust practices in your school or or workplace make you mad and sad, but when justice happens, it makes you glad. Maybe it's folks who are lonely. Your call often lies at the intersection of mad, sad, and glad. And by glad, I don't mean it's easy. It may be very difficult, it may be very hard and painful, but it gives you purpose, meaning, joy. And this is deeper than our job. Calling goes deeper than the job we have. Calling is who we are, what we were designed to do, and that can happen, we can use that in any job or any school. Your calling may be to an encourager or be a mentor, you can do that in any job. My calling is to be a pastor, that's not the job thing. Right? Like when I was a teacher, I was always that teacher that was asking them about, you know, how's your relationships, how's your life, you know, getting past the grace, how does that make you feel, right? I could be a truck driver and I would do it very pastorally, right, except when people drive slowly and then I'd mow them down, <laughs> it's like, have a truck and it would feel so good, but I digress. The passions God has given you can direct you to your call. Well, then the next thing that Jeremiah says, is I, or that God tells Jeremiah is, I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to build and to plant. So here's my last observation. Our call often involves both tearing down what is harmful and building up what is life-giving. Now, Christians are kind of known for the tearing down part, right? Blasting what we think is wrong. Everyone knows what we're against, but they don't know what we're for. I'm reading a history book right now on 18th century America, and and the author notes that American theaters in the 1780s and 90s cut out of Shakespeare's plays anything that was slightly sexual or off color, which one observer noted, quote, reduced the plays to the dull insipidity of a Presbyterian sermon. (laughs) That's just hurtful. There's just no need for that kind of talk, right? We're good at blasting. Now, sometimes, don't get me wrong, we do have to tear down unhealthy things to build up something new. God, after all, begins his renewal of all things with the death of his son so that new life could come with his resurrection. So we are against racism because it demeans and hurts people, which means we need to uproot unjust structures in our lives, in our workplaces, in our schools, and in our nation. But we also have to be for practical ways of reconciling races. And as a church, our justice team is exploring those ways. And if you want to help, they're in the lobby after the service. If we're against unhealthy sexual behavior, we also need to be for helping people find healthy, joyful sex in marriage. We're against poverty, but we also have to be for helping, empowering people to get out of it. And it's the same in our personal life. Sometimes God has to uproot some unhealthy things to give us better things. Tear down to build up. So those are a few observations on discerning God's call. So practically speaking, practically speaking, what do we do? How do we really do this? So let me give you three steps for your homework this week. Okay, first, ask God, what's my calling? And then listen for maybe those thoughts that aren't your thoughts or something someone else says or whatever, however he speaks. Second, ask other people who know you well, what do you think? What have you noticed makes me mad, sad, and glad? To help kind of figuring out what is the passion God has put on your heart? And then third, pray every day, God, give me eyes to see the opportunities I have right here, school, work, neighborhood, to bring your healing. And then look for those opportunities. Because a lot of times it's easy to pray that prayer in the morning, right? And then forget all about it and go through our day and we kind of miss the nudges that God is giving us. So this week, why don't you pray that prayer every day and then look for the opportunities God gives you and nudges you toward. And who knows, you might end up with kind of a cool story. Because when we live into our call, just as Rosemarie the mail carrier changed an entire neighborhood, we change our schools, workplaces, cities one by one as we ordinary people follow our extraordinary God. It's how we find meaning and joy in in any school, in any job, it doesn't matter, and it's how we can have hope even in difficult times. I'll close with this. This summer, my family and I drove to California to visit Christina's family, and we listened to books on tape. And one was called Being Mortal, about aging and dying. Our kids loved it. <laughs> right? They're like, do we have to listen to the death book? Well, that book tells a story, uh, a, a true story, about a home for the elderly in upstate New York. Most of the people there have dementia, they're isolated, it's a sad, hopeless place, as many homes for elderly people are. Well, a new doctor came, his name was Bill, and he looked around and he thought, this is not how things are supposed to be. So he got the leadership team together and he said, these people don't need to be more protected from death, they need to be more connected to life. So let's get a green plant for every room. And then he said, and you know what? We need some creaturely energy here, so let's get a dog. And the leadership team was like, uh, health code issues, right? He said, in fact, let's get two dogs. And they're like, uh, definitely health code issues. And then he said, and let's get four cats because some people aren't dog people, they're cat people. Tragic, there's no cure for it. (laughs) He didn't, that's my editorial little (laughs) comment there. And then he said, and people need the sounds of life. It's just, it sounds like death around here. It's depressing. It depresses me. Birds chirping. That's the sound of life. So the leadership team said, and how many birds would be required for this sound of life? And he said, about a hundred. And they said, are you crazy? Have you ever lived in a house with two dogs, four cats, and a hundred birds? And he said, no, but it sounds cool. And by sheer force of will, he wore them down and they agreed. And they had no clue what they were doing, right? The delivery truck came with a hundred parakeets, but but they didn't have the cages yet. So the delivery guy just let them loose in the facility. (laughs) Right? The cats were going crazy over the birds, right? And, And this staff was freaking out, chaos. And there was this weird sound they'd never heard before. The residents were laughing, having the time of their lives. And then stuff started to happen. People who they thought couldn't talk started talking. People who they thought couldn't walk started walking up to the nurse's station and saying, I'd like to take the dog for a walk. The mortality rate dropped 15%. The amount of medicines people took dropped by half. Researchers came to figure out why, but they couldn't. And Dr. Bill said, oh, I know. It's that people need to be connected to something bigger than themselves. They need to have a cause to live for that's bigger than just not dying. He called the whole thing the Eden Alternative, which is a great name. Because see, God's project is to revive all things the way that he intended them to be in the beginning. And that facility was not how God intended things to be. And so Dr. Bill brought a little bit of heaven down to earth. It was his purpose. It was his call. It was what made him mad, sad and glad. It had he, had he had to overcome some excuses. He had to uproot some stuff, some old ways of thinking, a couple of health code issues, right? Interrupted what was going on but brought hope to what seemed hopeless. And what's true of those residents is true for us. We need to live for something more than just not dying. Something bigger than just getting through the day or, 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 or being a consumer. You were made on purpose, for a purpose, to partner with Jesus in the renewal of all things. And there's no formula, there's no blueprint for how we do that, but Jesus can give each of us a redemptive imagination to see the opportunities we have at school, work, neighborhood. See, God wants to make much out of your life, and that will make your life harder, promise you. But also bigger and better, and deeper. You know, in spite of all of his whining, complaining, and insecurity, Jeremiah ends up standing firm against injustice, unintimidated by fear, and changes Israel for the better. Not bad for someone who started out as, quote, just a boy. And if God can do that through Jeremiah, who was a disaster, well then what can he do through you and me, through us, in us, and all around us? So Jesus, thank you that you are the God who calls and the God who sends. And help us to hear who you have called us to be, what you are calling us to, and then respond so that people see that you're alive in us. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.